Chapter Seventeen of the Fairy of the Snows by Francis J. Finn S. J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Seventeen, in which Father Carney loses his temper. David, one morning early in June, looked very heavy and sleepy. What's the matter, David? I inquired, pausing at the door of my office. Father, I was up late last night. Oh, you were? Writing poetry? No, Father, I do not write poetry. They had amateur night at the happy hour moving picture show house on Vine Street, and I went down there. Were any of your friends on the bill? Father, I was on the bill myself. I removed my hand from the doorknob and sat down in the nearest chair. Angels and ministers of grace defend us, I quoted. What's that, Father? Did you dance, David? No, Father, I didn't get a chance. What did you do? I sang a song. You did? What was it? Silver threads among the gold. David, do you mean to tell me that you had the face to appear before a presumably crowded house and bawl out to them the astonishing news, darling, I am growing old? Please, father, that's all the farther I got. What happened? Did you break down? No, father, I did not break down. But Pat Noonan was there, and he up and hollered, No, you ain't neither, sweetheart. And the team was there, and they shouted, Cut it out, and things like that. And then everybody began to raise a fuss, a laughing and a snickering. And then, and then, well, what then, David? Father, I got the hook. How was it done, David? Father, there was a great big fellow behind the scenes who had a long stick with a crook at the end. He caught me around the waist with that crook and yanked me in. But, David, what possessed you to take part in amateur night? I don't know, Father. Pat Noonan dared me, and besides, I wanted to appear on a stage. Besides, there was a prize of two dollars offered for the best amateur act, and I thought I might win it. But, David, don't you know that it isn't very nice or respectable to go on the stage with those so-called amateurs? Don't you know that those affairs are very cheap and far from respectable? Don't you know that you are very likely to be thrown into very common company? Father, I didn't know anything about it, but I'll not do it again. I should not like any boy working in my office to be seen in such affairs. Respectable boys and girls keep out of such things. Father, said David, Alice Morrow was in it. What? I cried, jumping to my feet. She was. She danced the Highland Fling and got the glad hand from the crowd, and she won the first prize of two dollars. For a moment I felt sick. Had David thrown a book at me, he could not have astonished me more. Alice Morrow, the daily communicant, Alice Murrow, the child in whom I had discerned, as I thought, such candor, such innocence, such refinement. Alice Murrow, presenting herself on a cheap stage with the cheapest actors. It was incredible. David, I said, are you sure you know what you are talking about? Yes, sir. She was there all right. Then a great anger surged through me. David, get Alice to come here at once. Saying which, I entered my office, closed the door, and fell to brooding. Had it been my own sister, I could not have been more chagrined. The child had raised such high hopes in me, and now they were all dashed to the ground. Appearing to confide in me, she had deceived me. Honest indignation, and that pitiful thing we call self-love, united to fill my heart with what was little less than black rage. Alice presently entered. She came in with her usual sunny smile, but on seeing my face, with that I had seen it myself, became very grave. She was clearly frightened. "'I can see by your looks, young lady,' 
I said bitterly, that you realize yourself without being told what a common thing, what a contemptible thing you have done. Yes, father, I do, assented Alice, a look of pitiful deprecation coming upon her face. There is no need, then, I continued, for me to enlarge on that feature of it. Such an action on the part of any girl in this school, especially any girl of the upper grades, would annoy me, to put it mildly, very much. But coming from a girl in whom I have taken such a keen interest, and from a girl to whom some of my friends have been so kind, it is shocking and scandalous. I paused, but Alice said nothing. The child was struggling to keep back the tears, and so could not speak. Her silence, I, of course, interpreted wrongly, as is the way with all of us when we allow our tempers to get away from us. I was looking at her, and thought she looked sullen. My anger grew stronger. I trusted you, Alice Merrill, and I thought I could depend on you, and you have deceived me again. The child was now weeping, but I was too far gone to notice. Alice Merrill, I didn't expect anything like that from you, and I don't see how I can ever trust you again. Now you may go, and may you try hard to mend your ways. The girl gave me an appealing glance. It was wasted on me. A man in a rage is a fool, and I was no exception. You can go, I said, and Alice left me to darkness of heart. It was to be, for me, a busy morning. I was to leave in the afternoon for a three-day stay in a neighboring city, and so pulling myself together, I got to work, and not without difficulty, banished from my thoughts the wretched episode. Yet, throughout, all the business of letter-writing and receiving callers, there was, deep down in my heart, a feeling of utter misery, a sense of guilt, of wrong, of injustice. A few minutes after eleven o'clock, I happened to raise my eyes, and noticed on the top of my folding desk a bouquet of beautiful roses. I had seen them when I first entered, but had been too disturbed to give them any attention. Now, for the first time, I observed a card attached to the vase. I arose, and with languid interest, gave it an examination. It was a dainty card, and the writing upon it was done with exceeding care. Then, as I read it, my heart grew heavy as lead. To Father Carney, with sincere love, from Alice Merle. The child, poor, ill-fed, to whom ten cents was a fortune, has spent her first earned money to show me her gratitude, and with those flowers scattering their fragrance over my head, I had an ill-judged zeal scolded her unmercifully. David, I called out, go at once to the eighth grade and tell the sister I would like to see Alice Morrow at noontime. David returned presently. Father, the sister says Alice was took sick an hour ago, and she sent her home. I closed the door and settled down to make an examination of conscience. Being thoroughly humbled and ashamed, I was able to see myself in the clear, white light of truth. It was plain to me at once that I had been right as to my stand, wrong as to my mode of taking it. Alice should have been called to order. The amateur night was not for her. How easily it would have been for both of us had I gently pointed out to her the dangers, the commonness of such affairs. After all, she was but a child, and at that, a very inexperienced child. The frequentation of the sacraments had guarded her innocence. Had she been more sophisticated, she would have known that amateur knights had their secret dangers. A few words of kindness, and she would have thanked me, and gone away all the better for our interview. But instead of this, I had given a loose to my anger, my memory from this point went back to other years and other scoldings I had given. I could recall ten of these outbursts, but I could not recall a single case in which I had effected the least good, while in several I had done distinct harm. Going back further still, I brought to memory the scoldings given me in earlier life. They were all as it happened at school. My mother, the one whose influence over me had never weakened, did not scold. 
Two different teachers had spoken to me as I had to Alice. The scolding of one had given me hours of misery. The others had almost brought me to abandon the vocation I had cherished from early youth. How difficult, I reflected, it is to carry out the injunction of Christ in admonishing our brother. It is easy to call to order. It is very difficult to do it right. And here, at the age of forty-eight, I looked at myself to see how unlike Christ, the lover of souls, I still was. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, I groaned, and these words, as I then uttered them, were as good an act of contrition as ever I made, for they came from a heart thoroughly humbled and contrite. End of chapter 17 Recording by Maria Therese